This week on The Clubhouse, we continue our stadium series as we finally get to hear Anthony's thoughts on his trip to Safeco Field, the home of the Seattle Mariners. Anthony is currently touring the country with his hit Broadway musical, If Then. Go to ifthenthemusical.com tour to find out when he is coming to your town. Over the next couple of months, Anthony and I will be dedicating one episode to every team and we'll be discussing why we think you should visit each and every one of their home ballparks. We are also including episodes from my Rounding Third podcast, which features interviews with fans I met as I made my 17,000-mile drive across the country to attend a ball game at all 30 stadiums. There are also some truly amazing guests that we have lined up for our more regular episodes that we will be dropping every couple of weeks or so. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes for free so that you never miss our surprise guests. This episode was recorded in the Oakwood Apartments in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is a wonderful day for baseball. My name is Manish Jain, and sitting next to me, as always, is Mr. Anthony Rapp. Yes. <laughs> On today's stadium series, as we continue our stadium series, we are going to be discussing a ballpark that Anthony and I did not visit together, and I'm very disappointed because I really wanted to go to this specific ballpark with him. That is Safeco Field yes. in beautiful Seattle, Washington. One of my uh, one of my favorites. Let's go. Let's hear it. We didn't. We never really broke it down during our our, our stadium tour this summer. So yeah. let's let's hear your thoughts on, on the beautiful Safeco Field. So first of all, I got there a little early, taking a page out of the Manish Jain playbook, which is a sound playbook. Thank you. Um, and as I'm walking in with my friend Mackenzie, who drove up from. Uh, Outside, he lives outside of Portland, Oregon. So and this is not Mackenzie Aston. No, this is my different friend Mackenzie. Yes, I have two male friends named Mackenzie. Unusual <laughs> but true. Um, uh, we we got there early, and as as we're entering the stadium, I'm hearing like really fun, sort of tr- you know, live music, trumpets, f- a little bit of funk. I think they were playing Superstition. Might have been the first song they were playing. I'm like, what is that? And it was a, a jazz band. A, I think it was a naval jazz band, not a, army or naval, a, or army or navy jazz band, just killing it on the concourse. And ga- a crowd was gathered around. So the day that we went, Felix Hernandez, King Felix, was pitching, and I assume that that usually brings out a bigger crowd to the to the bar, to the ballpark because you know the Mariners weren't doing that great this season, so it's not like they were you know. I don't, that usually affects, that usually depresses numbers for, you know, attendance. But it was like a buzzing, buzzing atmosphere. We got there, you know, it was a summer night. So it was like, maybe we got there like six or 5.30 or whatever time it was. So the sun was still out. There was just a great atmosphere. And this band was killing it. And the audience, the crowd was loving it, being very interactive. So right away we get there as a super festive atmosphere, which I thought was great. Um... And then there was the Seattle Mariners Hall of Fame 
museum right there in the park, which is very well done. Very, it's very open. Like you can just walk right through. Like it's it's it flows well, you know. Um, and there's like a fun cut out of Lou Pinella, and <laughs> um, you know, my my previous to this, my I guess my main awareness of the Mariners has been Ichiro, who I've always been a huge fan of, and when Lou Pinella became manager of the Cubs, you know, I, I looked and I knew that they had, you know, won the 116 games, mm -hmm. you know, but that they hadn't ever been to the world series. And, um, so, I mean, I, I had something of awareness for them, but I didn't have any sort of like real appreciation for where they play, like no awareness of how beautiful their ballpark is and how it's situated. And Manish had also done me the great favor of telling me to go up to the upper deck and look at the views from up there. And it is spectacular. You know, the, I mean, Seattle where it's situated is gorgeous anyway, but from up there to look and, Oh, there's the space needle and there's Puget sound and there's downtown. And it's like, and this, you know, that, that the thing about the sun in that part of the world too, is it's like really the, the it's a very warm light. It's very, it's like a, I don't know. The whole thing is just one of the, it's the, the Pacific Northwest in general is one of my favorite places to be. And to have the ballpark be as well done as it is made me really, really happy. Yeah. It's, it's, you, I, you think, I think you put that perfectly. I mean, what the way that I say it succinctly is that that, that ballpark was the only ballpark in America where the ushers told me during the game to get up and walk around because there's just a beautiful view of both downtown and the park, no matter where you go. Yeah. And, you know, I was, uh, excuse me one second. <clears throat> excuse me. Huh? got that morning cough. <clears throat> um, I was a secret Mariners fan when I was a young boy. When I was a young child, I, I grew up a Tigers fan, obviously, but I secretly, I owned a Seattle Mariners hat. Never wore it in public. Why? Um, why did I own the hat or why Both? Uh, I own the hat? Well, I'll get to the, why I own the hat in a second, but I didn't wear it in public cause I was, no, a, no. Why do you, why were you a secret Seattle Mariners fan? Why was this? Because they had a team in the early nineties that was ridiculously fun to watch with the reason why I'm still a baseball fan is Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, he yeah. is what brought me back to baseball. Not Sosa and McGuire, not Ripken, not any of that stuff. But post-strike, when I did take a year off of baseball, uh, Griffey Jr. is who, who brought me back. But they also had Edgar Martinez, who I loved. They had Jay Buhner, who I loved. They had Tino Martinez. They had Randy Johnson. They had, I mean, they had... Uh, Dan Rodriguez. Wilson. R Rodriguez was actually... That was I pretty much... In, when I look back at this, I'm not saying this now because of who he is, but it is weird. But it's almost when the A-Rod era began at Seattle is when my secret love of them kind of stopped. Um, that's also around the time when Griffey Jr. got traded too, though. So it's, mm. it's you know, uh, I think it has more to do with Griffey Jr. than A-Rod. But it is kind of funny that I didn't really ever like the Mariners when A-Rod. I mean, he was on there when he was 18, 19, 20, you know, playing a couple of games here and there. But when he became an actual Mariner... My my love affair with them was mm. over, but I loved their old logo. They have this M trident, uh, like the the M with the three tridents. Oh yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. it looks I used like, to love that, that. like the Scorpio symbol. Yeah, I used to love that when I was a kid, and so, um, but I hid it from my friends because you know I was a I was a Tigers man. I couldn't I couldn't cheat on my on my team, um, but so I've always had kind of a soft spot in my heart for Seattle, and when I went to their ballpark. 
Yeah, I mean, you put it perfectly. So I don't, I'm not going to repeat anything you just said, but it is absolutely stunning. It's it's gorgeous, and there's so much fun stuff to do there. You could get at least when I went there, you could uh, walk in two and a half hours before first pitch, which is the earliest you could walk into any other ballpark. Most of them are about anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours before first pitch. You can walk in, but it was two and a half hours. There's a place called the Bullpen, which is located right next to the bullpens that has like restaurants and bars and things of that nature. And you can watch batting practice from the outfield there and try and catch a ball or two or watch uh, if there's any relievers warming up or starters warming up in the bullpen. Uh, It's just, it's awesome. And then I was there, as I said, when Felix was pitching. (sighs) And so there's the thing called the King's court, which is so jealous. So jealous, which is uh, an organized fan group. I guess you could call it sure. of of people who in, in, inhabit this this section, both all tiers of the, of this little corner of the left field. Um, I think all level, yeah. Like I think it's field level, and I mean all. It's not really called field level, I guess, when you're in the outfield. But there's what two or three tiers, whatever it is. Sure. That whole section is uh, dressed in a t-shirt that says King's Court on it. And every time he is at two strikes against K, any batter, K, K, they just start chanting. They hold K, up signs K, 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 that K, say K, 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 and they K, chant K, 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 ah! Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. And yes, it was wonderful. Wonderful to feel that. And and he pitched a gem. It was a pitcher's duel, of course. He pitched into the, he mean, he pitched a complete game. No, I'm sorry. He didn't. He didn't get the win. No, he pitched in. The, I'm sorry, he pitched. There was a walk. It was a walk up. It was a walk up situation. No, it was a closer situation. I'm so. That's confused. all right. We'll throw it on Clubhouse Podcast. We got to look, but it was a very tight game. Um, and so, like, they we saw try- him pitch a couple times this year. They were so trying to get your King Felix. Yeah, they were trying to get the the win for him, and then he, yeah, he did ultimately get the win because it was an Austin Jackson home run. Ajax. That was a go ahead situation. Nice. Which was yes, the eighth inning. So yeah, Felix pitched into the eighth. Uh, through the eighth, and then uh, Connor Smith closed it in the ninth. It was, okay. a, it was a, I believe it was a one nothing game or a two one game. I think it was one nothing. Well, yeah. I mean, he is. I mean, obviously, he's a special player, and and I am super happy that he's going to be there for a long, 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 long time. I feel terrible for him that they that they can't seem to put together a consistently good team around him because, yeah. you know, his reaction. When let's face it, he took less money to stay with them than he could have gotten anywhere else. Yep. Uh, but you can tell that he really loves that city. Yep. You know, one of the things I loved about that city is I I, uh, I didn't get a chance to interview the guy when I was on my tour officially for the podcast, but we chatted a lot off air. Was there was this young uh, father with his son that was watching the game next to me, and we were just talking about how that ballpark is so. Uh, Cosmo, I don't know what the word is that I'm looking for here, but they pull from like five or six different states because Seattle's up in the middle of nowhere. That ballpark is just completely alone on an island by itself. And so people from Oregon, from Montana, from Idaho, from Canada, from Vancouver, from wherever, you know, they they all come. That's the closest ballpark they have. And there's just this really great cosmopolitan type of and welcoming sure. atmosphere there. And I think Felix really digs that. I think, you know, it is a a it's a big community without being in a big community, if that makes yeah, sense. Sure. So you can kind of have the the wide swath of fans, but you can still exist in kind of a smallish town type uh, atmosphere. So I think it's a perfect place for a guy like him. They also have a spectacular 
scoreboard video board. Yes, yes, yes. It's spectacular. Yeah. It's and it's like it's it's right in view of all people, but it's it's only that. There's not a lot of other yep. stuff dancing around with your eye out there. <laughs> it's crystal clear. God, you're making me want to go back there so they're badly great. right now. <laughs> they're, all their all their graphic stuff is really well done. It's just it's just like uh, an, I, if you're gonna have a big beautiful video board, do it like that. And not only that, and if you're gonna have a roof, do it like they do. Like they have the retractable roof, but I, I I'm not even sure I want to call it a retractable roof because it's not. It's a retractable umbrella. Like it is just it it does not uh, seal off the rest of the park. It's just uh, it kind of just covers the top of the ballpark. They only I think I've I've asked this to you before, but uh, I'll have you answer it. Do you know how many times a year on average they close the roof? I would say fewer than ten. Close. It's eleven. Yeah. It's eleven. You know, people seem to think, oh, it's Seattle, so it must be fifty times. No, it's pretty much on average the rest of the country of how many times they need to pull a tarp out or whatever. Because uh, the summer in Seattle, the summer in Seattle is beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's that's the best kept secret. I know all my friends in Seattle, are like, dude, stop talking about how beautiful it is here. We like people to think it's gray and gross and disgusting, so they don't come. <laughs> it's funny. But it's gorgeous in Seattle. Um. And I don't know. I don't think uh, had had I been there with you, I would have made sure that you you took part in this because I know this is another passion and love of yours. Did you uh, look into it all the Nintendo stuff at uh, the ballpark? I didn't. No, I didn't see it. Yeah, because if you bring a Nintendo DS to that ballpark, I think you get some cool like uh, not free stuff, but like just some hidden extra cool games that you can play that mm. you can uh, um, that they have. And they have Nintendo set up in certain places there because as we know, this the Mariners are owned by Nintendo. Uh, so funny. Uh, yeah, uh, but well, that's probably why they have the big screen they have too. Yeah. Oh no, exactly. So they're they're very good at that. They've got great sushi there. They've got from what I, I don't really eat good sushi, garlic fries. Really great. Gar- the food. Is, I mean, Seattle. Honestly, it's it stinks because it's way up in the middle of nowhere. But I think that look, you need to go to you the fan need to go to the Pacific Northwest anyways because it's just a beautiful spot in this country that we all live in. Uh, or if you're listening internationally, the country that you will hum, hum someday visit but that's a great place to go regardless of of uh, the ballpark but when you go to the pacific northwest make sure the mariners are playing yeah because it is just or if they're not take a tour of the ballpark because it is just a really awesome place and it's it was a surprise i just didn't know yeah exactly because so well, like i said people forget everybody about talks it. about camden yards yep understandably because it's fantastic yep but uh no one had mentioned Safeco. Well, you know, it's it's a relatively new ballpark. They used to play in the Kingdome, which was just god awful. Um, and so it's it's yeah, it just doesn't get a lot of love. And um, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. Well, you're about to hear uh, the saga of of uh, Anthony has heard me tell this story off the air many many times, and I can't remember if I've told the story on the air at all. I don't think I have actually. So. You, you're all about to hear uh, the next couple of episodes um, are going to be interesting for you to listen to because it starts with my my sickness that I that I went on on my tour and when my tour almost ended abruptly because of uh, some well I don't want to spoil it so to listen to the rounding third episode now I'm not, don't laugh at me it's a good intro I know it's a, it's a wonderful intro uh, <laughs> well let's just put it this way my tour almost ended uh at the 19th and 20th stadium because uh my body completely broke down on me and i almost uh yeah it was bad it was it was kind of scary but a an amazing human person came to my uh rescue 
and the next three episodes, you will hear that story unfold. So the rounding third episode uh, of my Mariners experience will be coming up next. Anything, Anth- Anthony, anything else you'd like to say about the beautiful Safeco? Just thank you, Safeco, for living. Thank you for living in the world and letting me experience your joys. We'll have to go back next year. And if we don't go back, I'm going to go back because it is just, it is uh, spectacular. So thank you so much, uh, Mr. Rap. This has been fun. Thank you, Mr. Jam. We will see you next time here in the clubhouse. We're just going to take a brief break so that I can tell you how to get in touch with Anthony or me. You can follow us on Twitter at ClubhousePod. Visit our website, clubhousepodcast.com, for extensive links and information about some of the baseball moments we discussed on the show. There are also photos from our cross-country road trip for you to peruse at your leisure. We love hearing from our listeners and getting you involved with the discussion, so please email us at clubhousepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite baseball stories, your favorite baseball films, why your team or ballpark is so special, or honestly, just if you want to say hello. If you are a new listener to the Clubhouse Podcast, welcome. For more great baseball conversations, take a look at our archives, like our chat with Emmy Award-winning actor John Hamm. In this clip, John explains how much of a baseball nerd he is by recounting a day where he listened to the radio broadcast of a 30-year-old ball game. I listened to almost the whole game. Like, I started <laughs> listening to it, and I was like, I kind of got into it, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is crazy. But you listen to it, and there is, it's such a different rhythm. Like, it is so much less wall-to-wall sound Yeah. other than the sound of the game, yeah. you know, of the crowd and of the things. Like, that's kind of ambient. It's not foxed out. It's just very, it's very pleasant. And you could understand why, like, that was a lovely thing to do. Like, it's relaxing. It's fun. And this is a very exciting game. And it, by the end of it, it, it ramps up. But it has its, this, this really cool, it's, it's an interesting thing to do, I think, if, you, if you've got to spare three hours and you want to <laughs> listen to some old baseball. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Rounding Third with Manish Jain. Today's episode, the Seattle Mariners and Safeco Field. This is going to be a relatively short podcast today. Uh, there is no interview, and... I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story before giving you my thoughts on Safeco Field. In the interest of full disclosure, I will let you guys know that I'm actually recording this podcast a couple of weeks after seeing the Mariners game. So you'll hear me referring to cities post-Seattle. But all of that will become clear very shortly. But right now, I'm just going to go ahead and start at the beginning. So I haven't really talked too much thus far on the podcast about the tour itself, about my experience driving or staying with random people across the country or really anything specifically about myself. It's been mainly about the, the stadiums and the people that I've met and the experiences that I've had. But my, my downtime, I really haven't talked about too much. This is the time in my schedule that I have been dreading since I put this whole tour together almost a year ago. It took me about five weeks to come up with the schedule to try and make it so that I didn't double back and, you know, and that I didn't sit in one city too long and that I was able to visit all 30 parks in some sort of pattern. You know, finding a home game in each stadium is much more difficult than you would imagine, especially in cities like Chicago and L.A. and New York, cities that have multiple teams. Very rarely, if ever, do the teams play anywhere near each other on the schedule. 
with Houston jumping over to the American League and interleague play happening every single day, it just threw the schedule completely off the tracks. And I'm actually very empathetic to the MLB scheduler because it must have been just horrible to try and figure it all out. Because I know for me, like I said, it was five weeks of working about three, four hours a day. My apartment looked like a serial killer's apartment. There were maps and schedules strewn apart everywhere, just papers everywhere. So all that is to say that I think I did a pretty good job of following some sort of pattern. You know what? There are people that have enjoyed hearing me do this on the road. So for posterity, why don't I go ahead and put one on the podcast? This is my entire tour. Oh, and by the way, I know you got to believe me on this. I'm doing this from memory. <laughs> I just realized it's a podcast. I could very easily be cheating, but I'm going to say it fast enough where I'm not this fast of a reader. New York, New York, Baltimore, D.C., Tampa, Miami, Atlanta, St. Louis, Kansas City, Houston, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, San Diego, San Francisco, Oakland, L.A., Seattle, L.A., Minnesota, Milwaukee, Chicago, Chicago, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Toronto, Boston. I'm pretty sure I did all 30 right there. <laughs> You're going to have to slow that down and, and, and test me, but I've said that so many times at this point where I'm, I'm pretty sure that's all 30 in the exact order that I went in. Now, for those of you who are able to follow that, uh, you should have been able to notice that the cities that have two teams, your New Yorks, your Chicago's, etc., I was able to do them in back-to-back days, which was awesome and fantastic. Unfortunately, in the, I believe it was seven or eight different unique schedules that I ended up creating for this tour, they all included some form, some variation of the LA, Seattle, LA, Minnesota stretch that I'm currently on. Because Seattle is way up in the Pacific Northwest, away from everybody, and because the Angels and the Dodgers rarely, if ever, play at the same time, and because I was going to have to make my way back to the East Coast or back to the Midwest at some point, this was just a perfect storm of really, really hard driving. I started in L.A., I had to drive 17 hours up to Seattle, turn back around, drive 17 hours back to LA, and then drive 30 hours to Minnesota, essentially driving about 4,000 miles in 10 days. Now, originally, I had a buddy of mine that was going to fly out and uh, help me with this section of the drive, and also, you know, have some fun with me on the road. But unfortunately, kind of at the last minute, he had a work commitment that he just could not get out of, and he ended up not being able to make it. And I was obviously frustrated because I wanted to spend some time with my buddy. Strangely enough, the idea of doing this 4,000-mile journey by myself didn't phase me. For those of you who may not know, I had not driven a car for six years before starting this tour. Living in New York, I didn't own a car. So I have not actively driven a car in six years. So the way I've been looking at the summer is I'm basically just getting all the driving I would have done in the last six years out of my system. I told myself I'm used to doing 10 plus hour drives. Since the beginning of this tour, I've been doing 13 hour drives, 11 hour drives, 12 hour drives. I purposely front loaded my tour with the West Coast and the South 
so that the first half of this trip would have all the long drives and the second half would be filled with three, four, five hour drives, which honestly are, I'm assuming going to feel like 20 minute jaunts, like it's not going to be a problem at all. So to give you a little bit of context, the Angels game that I went to was on a Friday. I had a Mariners game the following Monday and then a Dodgers game the following Friday and then a Twins game the following Monday. So within 10 days, I had to get from L.A. to Seattle to L.A. to Minnesota. So the morning after the Angels game, I get in my car and I start. I get about 12 hours before I realize, you know what, I think I'm good for today. I'm going to go ahead and do the responsible thing and pull off the road, get some sleep so I can start fresh again tomorrow. I got about five or six hours left. That's plenty of time for me to do that on Sunday, get to my destination, get some rest, be fresh for the game on Monday. So Sunday morning, I wake up, and all of a sudden, my entire body is sweating. I mean, my entire body. My legs are sweating. My hair is sweating. Everything. I'm just sweating. It's like, all right, it's not really that hot. Maybe I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm just tired. I don't know. So I get out of bed. I get in the car. I'm ready to hit the road again. I get about 45 minutes into the drive before my legs start shaking and I realize I don't know what's going on with me. Let me just go ahead and pull over to a rest stop here and, and maybe take a bit of a nap. You know, I, I left myself enough time on Sunday where I was able to, you know, take a bit of a break. I didn't have to drive straight. So I go to a, a rest area and lay down, got my little pillow in the car with me and I start to take a nap. About 10 minutes after I've closed my eyes, I shoot up and in one motion, open the door and exorcist style projectile vomit for, I'm going to go ahead and, and guesstimate. It was maybe a minute and a half, two minutes straight all over the parking lot. I apologize for the graphic description there, but it was, it is what it is. Apparently I had gotten food poisoning at the exact wrong time. I called my father, who happened to be a physician, and I asked him, help me out here, Dad. Give me some sort of magical pill or advice or just something. Help me. Tell me what to do because I cannot afford to miss a day of driving. I got a game to go to tomorrow. What am I going to do? At this point, my mother gets on the phone, and she starts yelling at me. What are you doing? You got to take better care of yourself. This is ridiculous. You're driving all over the country. You can't let this happen. I'm coming out there. My mother lives in Michigan. Okay. She's got her own life. She's got her own things that she needs to be doing. So this is a very sweet offer, but you know, no, you're, you're not coming out here. It's fine. Thank you very much, but it's ridiculous. No. 48 hours later, this lunatic woman has gotten on a plane and flown three time zones to the West and greets me in the home that I'm staying at in Seattle. I want to make sure you all heard that. On 48 hours notice, she flew from Michigan to Seattle. And what she did next puts her pretty much in the mom hall of fame. She proceeded to drive with me from Seattle to LA and then from LA to Minnesota. 
yelling at me the entire time saying, you are not going to drive. I'm going to drive. You are going to sit there and you're going to rest and you're going to sleep and you're going to get some writing done and you're going to relax. I am driving. Give me the keys. We're not going to stop. If you don't want to stop, if you don't stop for, for food, I don't stop for food. If you don't want to stop for bathroom breaks, I don't stop for bathroom breaks. We are on your schedule. We're doing exactly what you need to do. Do you understand that? This this woman dropped everything in her life to come and drive 49 hours in a small car with her son. It was amazing. I'm going to talk a little bit more about our time together in the car on a future episode. But honestly, it was in the midst of this baseball summer of mine, of this incredible journey of mine, going to all the stadiums, meeting incredible people, meeting new people, you know, seeing old friends. In the midst of all of that, I was given the opportunity to spend a week in a car with my mom, more time than we've spent together in probably 12 years, and bond with her, and talk to her, and laugh with her, and honestly, let my mommy take care of me for a couple of days. <laughs> this I like I said I'm gonna get I'm gonna talk more about it on a future episode. Um, but I just wanted to let you guys know that if it wasn't for my mom, I don't know if I would have been able to finish this tour. You know, I love moms across the world. I know that moms are a very special breed of, of human being. And I'm sure you all have mothers or are mothers yourself who love your children and have a great bond with, with one another. But I'm sorry, I hit the mom lottery. I won. I won the jackpot. This is, uh, there is no Hall of Fame grade enough to, to hold my mother. <laughs> I mean, she went so above and beyond the ridiculous call of duty that I, I, it was, it was incredible. It was amazing. It was an adventure unto itself. So stay tuned to a future episode where you'll hear uh, some details. Uh, I tried to get my mom to join me on the podcast for a minute, but sadly she's a little bit too shy for that, so, which is okay. She did allow me to take some photos uh, of, of her and I together, which you can go ahead and check out on uh, the website at roundingthird.net. So you can see my, my, my angel of a mother and I hanging out. But uh, the last couple of weeks have been kind of intense. And so I haven't really been able to keep up with the writing of the podcasts or, or things of that nature. So I wanted to make sure that you guys knew what was going on. And, and you were able to hear uh, a firsthand account of quite possibly the greatest mother who's ever walked the face of this planet. But now it's time to talk a little bit about Safeco Field. This place is awesome. <laughs> this I had such a great time at Safeco Field. In a lot of the podcasts that I've done so far, I've talked about unique aspects of the different stadiums. And this one was no different. This one had something that I have yet to experience at any other ballpark. It's amazing how this keeps happening. You would think that after a while, these, these stadiums, these ballparks, these experiences would start kind of flowing together. You know, you have similar experiences, but I haven't. You know, every single ballpark has given me something new to really be in awe of. For the first time in my life of going to baseball games, football games, hockey games, basketball games, I was actually encouraged to get out of my seat and walk around a little bit. 
I spoke to an usher and he told me that honestly, during the game, he sees a lot of people, even in the good seats, that just get up and wander because there is literally not a bad view in this entire house. A lot of stadiums like to claim that they have open sight lines, you know, that behind home plate in the concourse is an open concourse. So wherever you're walking in the concourse, you can always see the field of play. It's one of the newer um, design influences that came from Camden Yards in Baltimore. In Seattle, this was the first place where it really felt like no matter where you were standing, you had not only just a clear view of the field, but a really great view of the field and a different view of the field. I found myself going to the very upper deck and going down the left field line where there's a little bar area set up. And I just wanted to stand there and rotate between seeing the city of Seattle and the play on the field. I just kept on turning around. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd spend a minute looking at the skyline, then I'd turn around and I'd look at the field. Then I'd look at the water. Then I would look at just any number of amazing scenic views that you have from the top of that stadium. And then you go down to the main level and pretty much anywhere you walk on the concourse, you've got huge open sprawling views where there are no obstructed views. No matter where you stand, there's no obstructions. You can see everything. Not only can you see everything, but the weather in Seattle, I'm telling you, the media is lying to you, folks. The TV, the radio, the news, movies, everybody's lying to you. The weather in Seattle was gorgeous. It was beautiful. This whole Seattle's always rainy and gray. I don't know what the heck they're talking about. Maybe in the winter, but in the summer months, that place is almost a paradise. If you don't believe me, go right now to roundingthird.net. Go to, I believe it's day 56. It's the off day between the Mariners and the Dodgers game. And just look at the view from the porch that, uh, of the house that I was staying at. This is in Seattle, back in Bellevue, but still in that area. And I'm telling you, that's what the weather was like every day that I was in Seattle. Earlier in the day, I had taken a tour of Safeco Field, and the tour guide had asked myself and the other uh, uh, folks on the tour, out of the 81 home games, on average, how many games do you think the roof has to be closed for due to rain? And obviously, people are assuming in the 30s, 40s, you know, some saying 50s. I, I thought more of a conservatively, maybe in the 20s. You know, I think it's going to be a lot, but probably not too much, maybe in the 20s. But, you know, it's Seattle. It rains all the time, so at least 20. 11. According to my tour guide, only 11 times a year out of the 81 home games do they actually have to close the roof. There is no excuse for any of you not to make the trip out to Seattle and watch a baseball game because it was absolutely magnificent. Oh, yeah, and by the way, Houston, Miami, Arizona, Milwaukee, everyone else that's got a retractable roof, you did it wrong. Seattle did it right. Their roof does not completely close off the stadium from the outside. In places like Miami and Houston, when they close the roof, it essentially just becomes a domed stadium. It's climate controlled and you're pretty much playing inside just like Tropicana Field. In Seattle, it's more like an umbrella. 
the the roof covers the stands, but it does not close off the outside world. So you're still getting all of the environment. You're still getting the cold air or the wind or whatever it may be. Whatever the elements are, you're still feeling it. So yes, there might be a roof over your head, but it still feels like a baseball game. It still feels like a baseball environment. I'm incredibly disappointed in myself that I was under the weather for the entirety of my trip to Seattle because this is a place that like I mentioned before, Safeco Field is one of those stadiums that I've always enjoyed watching on TV. Uh, when I was a kid, I was actually a secret Seattle Mariners fan. Back when they had uh, Griffey Jr. and Buner and Tino and Edgar Martinez and Randy Johnson and even <laughs> the young whippersnapper A-Rod way, way back in the day, I was a, a secret Mariners fan. I wasn't the world's biggest fan of the kingdom, but to be fair, I never saw a game there. So maybe it was better than I thought. I don't know. I talked to some of the locals there and they seem pretty happy that it's gone. But Safeco Field was always one of those parks that I've always wanted to visit, but it just felt so far away from the rest of society. I do feel terrible for the people of Seattle because they really have no no geographical rivals. You know, the American League West, all the other all their all their teams are are several hours away. You know, I'm never a proponent of of cities losing their franchises, but and you know, uh, I don't know. Because I don't think about it. I don't know if expansion is really going to be a good idea either. But Seattle needs another team up there, whether it be in Vancouver or in Portland. There needs to be a team a little bit closer to the Mariners because they just feel so divorced from the rest of baseball. They just feel so disconnected from the rest of the league being way out in the middle of nowhere. You know, the Pacific Northwest is such a beautiful part of the country. We really need to get baseball out there because I always thought it was the weather. Honestly, I, I'll, I'll completely admit my ignorance. And I, I always assumed that um, it's either going to be crazy cold or rainy and, and dark and dreary. So that's why baseball isn't up there. I have no idea now why there isn't more baseball in the Pacific Northwest because the weather is certainly not an issue. The fans that I met there, you know, I met people from Montana, from Iowa, from Vancouver, from Portland. They were pulling from states all across that area of the country, all to come to see a live baseball game. There are enough fans in that area of the country, Major League Baseball. Let's figure out how to get a professional team up there. I honestly am racking my brain and I don't think I have one negative thing to say about this park, its employees, or really anything about even the city. Before the game, they open the gates two and a half hours before first pitch. At most stadiums, you're lucky if you're allowed inside the stadium two hours before the game. Normally, it's about an hour and a half, which I got to say is not nearly enough time to really experience everything that that ballpark has to offer. But in Seattle... They open up what they call the pen, which is the area right behind the uh, the bullpens, you know, nicely enough, where you can go, you can sit in some very nice recliners, you can order some food, you can have some drinks, you can watch batting practice. Two and a half hours before game time, you can actually watch the home team take batting practice, which is, once again, another rarity. You know, some ballparks will allow season ticket holders to do that, but just for the common fan like myself to walk in and be able to watch the home team take BP, it was pretty exciting. 
everyone that worked at the park couldn't have been more gracious and helpful. You know, I, I would, I was chatting with some ushers. I was chatting with some vendors and, you know, they really loved the sport and, and they were incredibly gracious with their time. Seattle gets a bad rap sometimes, you know, more important, it gets forgotten sometimes, really. It doesn't even get a bad rap. It just gets forgotten. And it's not their fault for whatever reason maybe it's uh i don't know maybe it's bad marketing i don't know but for whatever reason the rest of the country does not fully appreciate how amazing of a place the pacific northwest and more specifically seattle really is you know because i was feeling so sick and and i just was was drained my energy was drained i was really unable to get any official interviews for the podcast but that didn't stop me from talking to a lot of people and hearing a lot of stories and honestly i i credit for seattle for infusing me with energy and for getting me back up and for getting me to for reinvigorating me you know i was i was very wiped out after the food poisoning incident and after the driving and just the environment that they created there at at safeco field completely brought me back to life. This stadium has shot to the top of my list of stadiums that I need to revisit once this tour is over so that I can really properly experience everything that it has to offer. But if you're just looking for a flat out, fun, beautiful time at the ballpark, you're not going to do much better than Safeco Field. Like I said, there's not a bad seat in the house. And if you're not happy with your seat, just stand up and walk to one of the standing room only sections because the standing room only sections sometimes have a better view than most ballparks do in the expensive seats. It's crazy <laughs> how they have built that stadium. It's, it's absolutely perfect. So without an interview to uh, uh, share with you guys, I figured you probably heard enough of my rambling. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the podcast. The next episode is going to be the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers, and I highly recommend you tune into that one. It's uh, going to be a fun one, and you're going to hear some more great stories about uh, this crazy woman that uh, I'm lucky enough to call my mom. If you have any questions or comments for me, please feel free to email me at roundingthirdpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me at Twitter at roundingthirdmj. You can check out the photos that I've taken and uh, my little write-ups that I do after each one of the stadiums at roundingthird.net. I want to thank all of you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I hope you'll stick with me as I continue to round third, heading for home. The home base for the Clubhouse podcast is the Bergino Baseball Clubhouse located at 67 East 11th Street in New York City. Seriously, folks, this is without a doubt my favorite baseball spot in the country. From the baseball-inspired artwork on the walls to the one-of-a-kind memorabilia for sale and the amazing baseball fans that are just hanging out on the bleachers inside the store, this place is the best. If you can't make it into Bergino's in person, please visit Bergino.com and pick up a gift for your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, really anybody in your life, or even just yourself. If you can make it in, make sure you mention the podcast and you'll get a free bag tag with any purchase. You can follow Anthony and I individually at RoundingThirdMJ for me and at AlbinoKid for Anthony. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome week.